Welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. My name is Suzanne Henderson, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the benefits of triangulation. With me today to discuss the subject are two guests. Welcome first to Madia Rahim Razul. Maddie is the Deputy Head of Clinical Effectiveness at Birmingham and Solihull Mental Health NHS Foundation Trust. She has worked in both acute and mental health NHS trusts, as well as in a private forensic mental health organisation. Her experience in clinical effectiveness has required her to oversee trust-wide clinical audit planners, support senior directors with strategic work and support the review of NICE guidelines. She has a passion for supporting frontline staff to ensure they are engaged and supported with clinical effectiveness and clinical and quality improvement. And welcome also to Angela Ward, who joins us for the second time. Angela is a clinical audit and NICE lead at Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust. She's worked in both acute and community NHS trusts and has helped engage staff with using clinical audit for quality improvement. She's coordinated local audit plans, managed national project participation, promoted audit for accreditation and managed NICE compliance evidence. So we have a lot of experience here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining um, us, Maddie. So data triangulation, how does that play a part in your role currently? Hi, Suzanne. Firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think data triangulation plays a big role in my role in clinical effectiveness, uh, mainly because um, there's lots of data that we collect in healthcare on a daily basis. Um, and I think it promotes that together working. So bringing together different sources of data to support outcomes um, helps us to sort of, so for one example will be the triangulation of clinical audit data with our risks and incidents. So it helps us to support our risks. So if we've got risks or risk registers um, in our trust, it helps us to sort of, the audit data can help us to um, support those risks as to how high or low they are. Um, I think that's one thing a lot of clinicians struggle with is a scoring. To to one clinician, a risk might seem really high and another clinician it seems quite low. And that's a debate that often happens in healthcare. Uh, but clinical audit data and nice benchmarking and things like that um, supports those scores and sort of gives it an evidence base. Um, and obviously audits based on evidence. Um, but also, again, my first point being about that sort of together work and it brings together those data sources and those teams to help them work more collaboratively. Um, and I think that's when we work the best in healthcare, when we work collaboratively. And when you're collecting that data, obviously it's coming from lots of different sources. Are they, are the sources that you're getting that data from, are they engaged in this process of um, having that one aim when you're looking at data triangulation, which is always really important, isn't it? Um, generally, I don't think they are. I think we could be better at having one aim and sort of when we're putting things on the risk register that we can get better at looking what other data is out there. And when we're doing audits, looking at what, what we've already got on the risk register, what incidents are happening um, and working together with these teams, I think we can be a, be a lot better at that. Um, I think it is improving with things like the PSURF um, framework coming in. That's, you know, the foundations of that on or on data triangulation. I'd be interested to hear what your view on that, Angela. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone, and thank you for having me back. Yeah, I think PSURF is going to be where we start to see 
data triangulation come into its own because what it will do is it will help us guide well help us see where we need to focus our resources on so if we know the audit and complaints are saying there's an issue with a certain element of care then our patient safety team could also look at monitoring incidents that fall under that same trend things like that so yeah I do think that when it comes to PSERF, data triangulation will be the way forward. <laughs> and it's having a, a quite a robust process for triangulation, isn't it? Because they always say, try not to take from too many sources. So having those three, four, potentially five different data points in it to get that big picture. And sometimes it's quite difficult to look at where that is. So if we take into consideration something like um ipc so let's look at the age old hand hygiene um audit and you look at that and the kind of data points that you're taking out from there to make sure that your assurance is okay so let's have a look you've got some high risks so you've got something on the risk register around a certain type of infection which you know um you might get some clues with how we're doing on our hand hygiene audit how are we doing um on our estates audit um and also you know is staffing do we get hr involved and and do we get staffing rates in on that as well to see if we've got high turnover of staff is that something that you can openly have conversations with about what data you're triangulating to to kind of achieve what you need to do to get that assurance well in a way, we are already sort of doing that in healthcare already, because if you look at our clinical governance structures, in our clinical governance meetings, they take data from a plethora of sources. And actually, when they're reporting that each month, they should already be looking at that data triangulation. This is something we need to get better at doing. But in a way, we are already doing that. If you go down to a ward level or a service level, a manager should actually be looking at their data as a whole anyway, not just in pieces. So they should already be doing this in a way already. Do you think they're looking at too much data sometimes? Because I think, you know, my experience of uh, 16 years, I was, which isn't actually as long as most people once you start talking to people, but you know, sometimes they have this plethora of data in front of them and it become a, <laughs> become a bit of a minefield to kind of go, well, what, what's affecting what? Um, and I'm, it's difficult, isn't it? I think there's also the, the matter of sort of data accuracy as well. That's, I get the whole thing about there being too much data and sometimes we need to sort of hone in on the things that are a bit more relevant and look at that bit, focus, have like a focus piece looking at specific data. But there's also that data accuracy. Where are we getting this data from? Are the right people involved? Is Are we just looking at sort of Excel spreadsheets without having those conversations? I think it's really important to have the right people that are involved in that data and putting it together involved in the conversation. It needs to be you know, a conversation rather than just looking at a data as, as one team looking at somebody else's data. Um, so I think data accuracy is a big thing as well as, you know, how much data you look at. Yeah. And a part of that is having the right people involved, the right stakeholders. So if we take it right back and we have this, we look at data triangulation and we go, what does, what does good triangulation look like and what does 
non-effective triangulation look like you know where you're kind of a little bit lost and you don't really understand what what all these measures are are showing you do you have an example kind of or or something in the past that you can go that that worked really well that you've learned from um i suppose one that i've got and this is actually quite fairly recent i'm looking at the mental health act and how we comply with that at the moment And our audit data and our Mental Health Act visit data show different things. So what we're going to be looking at is actually narrowing down our aim or focus and actually ask a specific question and look at the data that helps us answer that rather than looking at all this data in isolation and trying to make it fit like two jigsaw puzzles coming together to make one. So... I think it is bringing it right back down to is your question right at the start? Are you getting the data from the right places? And there's four, thinking about that sign up to safety initiative, they look at four different bits, um, data sources, don't they? Where to get data from, you know, their incident reporting, their admin data, um, case note review, um, point of care surveys. Is that kind of the four main bits that you you would still get your data from. So, you know, if you look at your head, your um, administration, administrative data, sorry, um, the HES data, the um, length of stay, readmission rates, staffing, things like that, those are one, one bit of data, aren't they? They kind of get yeah. clumped together. And then you have those um, national audits, global trigger tools as well, which is your case note from your case note review kind of section. And I'm just wondering whether or not when we look at audit data, we don't use triangulation a lot. When we're looking at clinical audit in spe- specifically on its own, we don't tend to go and now triangulate that data with other sources, do we, as part of the process or with assurance audits, really. We tend to only be looking at it, I think, in the NHS from a risk point of view. And Do you, do you find that still the case or is it? Are people opening up now to data triangulation within um, clinical audit and improvement? I think it's an area we need to be better at in audit. I think audit is the tool that people go to when they want to find out more data or say they want to do something. Um, It's like saying, oh, we'll do a QI project on that. It used to be we'll do an audit on that, or it still is a bit. Um, I know... I promote looking at other sources of data, but I I can say hand on heart it's not happening regularly in the trust I work in. At Birmingham and Solihull, when you when you're looking at audit results and you're doing the so what, is that when you kind of move on to are there any risks? Is there any improvement? Where's the other data sources? Is that something that you're trying to we do and we don't. So I think we, so our setup's a little different because our, our governance facilitators are within the quality improvement and clinical effectiveness team. Um, so I think that's really, so we probably do it unconsciously sometimes. So when the governance facilitators are looking at like risk registers and things like that, they might, where they're aware of audit audits going on, they might think, you know, well, maybe we need to link this data. Um, but I think, as Angela said, I think we could definitely do a lot better. Um, it's not something that we'd, probably consciously do um but it is a lot more common as in people are thinking about it um a lot more i went to an audit committee a couple of weeks ago and they at the bottom of their um, audit report they had a, a section about risk 
um, and the risk, how the um, audit outcomes link to risk. Um, so I think we've got the right setup to do it. Um, we could probably get better at it. Um, but the, the setup is there and it po possibly does happen unconsciously just because they're within the team and they don't know what's going on. And we sit with the quality improvement team as well. So that sort of merging and that flow of, of data of what's going on in quality improvement, how do we link that to audit? That's it's, it's quite a natural data triangulation. But how that happens, like sort of extended out of the team and things like that is probably something we need to get better at. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know of any teams that routinely do it yet from, I guess, as a as a so what, as a follow on from a clinical audit project. So once you've got that baseline kind of going, you know, we have these results, we're not doing too well in this area. Let's then have a look at everything at, at other areas that tends to go through to QI, doesn't it? And at that point, I think naturally in quality improvement, we we collect data from multiple sources, don't we? Whereas with the clinical audit, it's it's just the baseline that you're trying to get. How are we doing? How are we doing against this? Not kind of why aren't we? Um, yeah. And if I know it's not, we, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, I know when I work with um, Sheffield Teaching Hospitals, we used to routinely um, risk assess clinical audit outcomes. It was There was a risk assessment form that was used for other risk assessments, just part of the audit report. I mean, we certainly are trying to get people to risk assess the project and the outcomes of the project or the results of the project. And I know working with Liverpool currently, they are very big on that as well. So I know that looking at risk and assurance levels is important, but it's more the how does that feed in? And it's really interesting that you brought up PSURF earlier because you know, we really want to help our organisations do that. And talking to the teams that we do, PSURF is something that gets brought up constantly. And I think feeding in that audit data, feeding in that QI data, feeding in the assurance audit data, feeding in your nice guideline data, all against a theme, just seems to be the perfect environment for real triangulation from those kind of I guess internal system measures that we've got you know external would be like your administrative stuff like HR and what have you it just goes back to that sort of that that conversation and I guess the piece of agenda sort of with it being focused on sort of compassionate engagement and the, the systems-based approach it, it almost forces people to have those conversations about data triangulation and what's going on there you know in your area in sort of inc the incident data, what's going on in your area of, you know, quality improvement, clinical audit, things like that. I guess it, it brings together those people rather than it being a sort of a bit of a blame culture as the maybe the SI framework was of, you know, we need to investigate this and find out what happened. It's more of a sort of a compassionate engagement and we're getting together to, to really look at the, the nitty gritty details and bring the right information together. It, what's interesting about that is... If you're triangulating your data following an incident, I'm actually more interested in the, the so what moving forward <laughs> because responding to the incident is fine, isn't it? And putting measures in place is fine. I would hate to think that that triangulation of data and the way that that was used in that response is then not continued. 
if it's been that beneficial. And I wonder whether or not, if it doesn't exist already, once people begin to look at the different sources, whether or not that becomes a permanent report within an organisation and a permanent measure. I can just imagine PSERF beginning to really open up some avenues of learning that just haven't been there before. In our trust, we're starting to look more at dashboarding data from different sources. So we've got our own data warehouse and our own sort of like front end manipulation system. And um, the idea is eventually it will have this data warehouse will have all the data coming from all our systems into it. So from this front end, we can then compare and contrast different areas different systems things like that and that's a longer term project but we're going to be doing a clinical effectiveness dashboard that will have data from various different sources Um, in a previous trust i worked in um, i did that under fundamental and better care so pulling in hr data and complaints audit things like that uh, but also having a quality dashboard where you've got everything in one place. Um, that makes it easier for people to see. But also, some people don't know where this data is. They don't know we collect it. So actually having it in one place where people can click through it or look through it will make them think, oh, actually, I can look there for this data or oh, how does this compare to that? So I think dashboarding is going to be where you'll get more people on board with data triangulation. That's music to my ears because I've been saying for years when people are looking for systems and they're saying, does it pull in data from here? Does it pull in data from there? And very kindly, you have to kind of, you have to go, but we shouldn't be pulling in data in this system. You should be using... as fewer systems as possible you you should be using the different systems within your organization and then organizationally you should be doing exactly that you should have some sort of quality clinical effectiveness dashboard that pulls in from everywhere and that's where people go to to view that activity so do the activity elsewhere but view it in that in that and and not only that if it's in your own business intelligence you then get to change the dashboard as and when you need to rather than waiting for the system to update to do that for you. So if you were going to buy a system that had that dashboarding capability, you'd have to be waiting a little while to make sure it could do the other things that you need to do. If you're controlling it within BI, your BI team will be able to do amazing things, Um, especially if someone says, oh, we now need to report on that. Obviously, you've got to get the capacity there, but they'll soon be able to build that in for you. Um, And I think it's important when you're building systems to make sure that the output of that data is really simple, that they can just use those APIs or whatever it is that they've got to get that data out and and get it into your data warehousing. So I'm presuming you've got, what, Angela, plans to put all your regular assurance audits in there, your QIs, your clinical audits? Yes. So AMAP's got loads of APIs. So um, the plan is we are going to pull the data from AMAP into our data warehouse. And then from there, because our front end is built in-house, we can then compare, well, we can either view it in that our data reporting system, and then we can also link it to different data or 
compare and contrast to different data. So it's going to be a work in progress. We haven't started yet because we've had to change some clinical systems. Uh, but that is something that I will, will be back on my radar to do into uh, later 2024. But in the meantime, it's going to be very Excel dashboard um, at the moment. For well, that. back old school. We, old we school. Yes. Control of it. I love it. I love an, I love an Excel sheet. Um, Oh, that's fantastic. Maybe we can put you in touch with some people that we know are, are doing it as well um, and are a little bit further down the, the road on that. Um, but no, that's fantastic. So when going back to triangulation, what are you doing about your qualitative data? How are you, how are you getting that into kind of projects where you, you're having to display triangulated data? data it's about getting it in the right forums and having it in the right forum as to where those people are that you triangulate it so having sort of your clinical effectiveness your patient safety your risk teams all in the same forums and that quality data you're discussing and then it, you've got that sort of evidence back up in like your your minutes of meetings and things like that um, and it goes back to like having the right people in the right room I guess with qualitative data yes it's difficult isn't it because if you've got this if you've got a mass of feedback and it's all in text form, it's very difficult, isn't it, sometimes to – it's almost a project in itself. When, because when you're looking at patient feedback or staff feedback, it's great with the more quantitative stuff. So are you happy with this? Yes, no, on a scale of 1 to 10. You know, you can look at that. But when you're looking at your comments, do you ever put that more free text – based data into this kind of triangulation model or do you tend to shy away from it a little bit? I think most places will tend to shy away from it. Um, the closest I've seen is us doing sort of like a trend analysis of comments or feedback or any other context put in, which is a start and it's great, um, but it is something we could do better at it i think sometimes people are afraid of it because they're more likely to do a, to have done a quantitative style analysis rather than a qualitative style analysis so if you've never done that sort of analysis before it is scary and there's not a lot of help out there in most trusts to do it as well so i think that's something we do need to get better at but we need to upskill people to do it and yeah. i know myself it's one of my weakest areas and it's something I need to upskill with. It's very time consuming as well, massively time consuming. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that it's not something people readily embark upon. Um, talking about uh, something taking a lot of time to do, do you find that people, when they're wanting to see results and they're wanting to understand things, do you find you get pushback ongoing, ah, but we need to look at these different sources because of the amount of time it takes? Or do you think the NHS now is going, no, we absolutely do need to triangulate data, look at it and then discuss it once we've got that? What are your pressures like at the moment? Obviously, NHS at the moment, everything's time pressured. We're all short-staffed and a bit frazzled. And uh, we could do with about doubling our staff and doubling our time <laughs> but um 
You are always going to have the people that want the headline data ASAP, and then you are going to have the people who want the proper data in full later on. So it's about balancing. Some data you can triangulate quite quickly. Other data, it is going to take time. Otherwise, you lose the data quality with it. So actually, if they want it next week and it's going to take a month to do the proper analysis actually push back and say do you want it done rushed and potentially wrong or do you want it done right and you know you're very sorry you know the data is completely accurate and you're always going to get better results from accurate data better qi from it better anything from it what are your red flags i mean it's quite easy to see something that looks good isn't it and it's quite often great to see something that really looks bad but um is there anything that when you're looking at these different measures that kind of raises immediately raises any red flags for you currently oh well i'm quite sad i tend to look at data in depth so it's uh, i don't look at highlight data i go into the detail and so data quality is normally a red flag where things don't match up even along the same data set say like aren't responses to one questioner don't match how it should be in another one so i tend to those tend to be my red flags have people done their data quality right and because i do look at it in that detail because i'm sad like that um i tend to pick that up and that's my red flag i don't know if maddie's got a different approach um i'd agree i think that's that's quite a, a red flag the data quality stuff but i think um how people do it and methodologies and, you know, again, what sources they've brought in and where they've taken from is, is one thing that I quite like to look at. And having that, that going back to something you were saying earlier, that education and people, you know, do they know how to do things? Have we, if they're coming in and asking for sort of quick data or things like that, is it because they're not aware that of the process and how long it takes? So I think the sort of the methodology and the way people do things is something that, that's quite important to me. Um, and finding out why, you know, they're doing it in specific ways. And are your teams trained? Are they trained data analysts first? Because without having, yeah, I think that's the first question, isn't it? Because if you're looking at data integrity and quality and making sure there's no bias in any kind of data collection, are they are they trained in that or is it something? Because I know in most organisations I know, there's very few that are actually trained in it. They tend to have learnt on the job, which, again, is a form of training, but they haven't had any formal training in data analysis. Yeah, I think in my experience, most people have learnt on the job or they do the basic Excel course or advanced Excel course and then do the data manipulation through that. I've had training. I've got qualifications in data analysis. So, but it isn't something we routinely train on and... I've had members of my team shadow the business information informatics team and things like that before to try and give them a little bit more of a understanding. Um, it's eye-opening, that, isn't it? It is. But surprisingly enough, most people think they know it already and then they, they do get that eye-opening opening. Yeah. Yeah, it's what Maddie mentioned, methodologies. I don't yeah. think it's, it's, you know, if you were to ask a lot of people looking at data now, you know, what's the methodology for that? Um, or which methodology, 
methodology have you applied? Um, because a lot of people come up a blank, don't they? And it's like, well, I just, I just, I just analyze the data and that's it. I guess it's a mix. I think in our in our trust, it's good that our governance facilitators work in sort of audit and nice and effectiveness because they have got that sort of because they're looking at data all the time. And they have got that experience um, with data um, and data analysis and stuff. I mean, I personally, I'm just completing my PhD, so data and data analysis was the whole thing in first year. <laughs> I had to learn a lot of data analysis very quickly. Yeah, because other people yeah. doing that will have might have come from that background. Yeah. That's a lot to learn. So, yeah, there was a lot of data analysis involved in sort of the first year of the PhD, just how to do different methodologies and how to analyse different data, mostly qualitative, which was really in- insightful because a lot of my previous experience has been with quantitative. Yeah. No, I do think that's really interesting. I th- and also, often in clinical audit, you can get some really complex data um, um, uh, data analysis and, and you, you, you know, you can spend ages on it, but the majority of clinical audits and assurance audits are pretty standard compliance-based audits. Yes, no, yes, no NAs, or, you know, you you might have um, different weighted responses and it's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? And as long as um, the question isn't biased, the question isn't, um, kind of it's clear and it's concise and it can't be seen in any other way those are pretty those are pretty much your standards aren't they with regards to quality um do you do you quality check when you're looking at data from audits and surveys do you have someone that quality checks that before it comes through in theory yes (laughs) in our trust (laughs) um but it depends who it goes through so with audits they should go through either my central team or through the governance team. So it really does depend on who you get, I think. And over the past, say, two, three years or more, I guess, has there been any cases that you can recall where data triangulation has really highlighted something that if you hadn't brought those extra data measures in, you just wouldn't have been able to see that bigger picture? I think one for me is news too. Um, In one service, we were seeing more patient incidents relating to deterioration not being picked up. And yet the audits at the time were saying everything was (laughs) hunky-dory, which obviously the two don't match. Uh, But then patient feedback as well we've seen complaints so yeah that seeing those two those three not match prompted us to go in and look at it as a deeper dive and actually look at it more i'm probably waffling now (laughs) no i love no i love that because that's the whole point of it isn't it yeah it's the absolute whole point of it it's nice to give you assurance but so the, the other times, it's almost like when you look at it, you look at these three, four, five points or whatever of data and, you, you know, let's take classic hand hygiene or any IPC related audit where everything's green. And then you go, you know, but we're still having this, um, you know, we're still having that. And everyone is trained up. You look at the training records, everyone is. So what's happening? You know, is it is it an environmental issue? Um 
you really do start having to deep dive there but at least you've got that information to hand um maddie if you were going to if you were going to kind of say these are the things what are your musts for triangulation if you were going to someone was starting afresh and they were in new into your role um what would your musts be I'd say most things in clinical governance, so your risks, your incidents, um, your complaints, your legal things, stuff like that, that you'd standardly take to sort of clinical governance meetings and have discussions about there, your sort of standard agenda items. And are there any issues with getting that data together currently? Do you find any challenges? Or is it all pretty to hand? And I think it, it goes back to the whole sort of knowing who's got the data um, and knowing where it sits it's all there with somebody but sometimes people don't know the right people to go to so it's about having those structures of which is where I think our in our organization our facilitators our governance facilitators are really quite handy because they've got their pockets in sort of governance but they also sit within the effectiveness and the QI team so they know what's going on there as well so they're a great sort of central resource for us um, in our trust so I think it's about you know knowing who to go to to where to get the data and then that leads to sort of data accuracy accuracy and would you change anything that you're currently um, if you had a big pot of money and all the time in the world would you change anything i think i would invest in a bigger audit team but i'm guessing half the nhs trusts in the uk would do that it's mental health and community trusts for you but um yeah you tend to have they tend to be very much governance related from my mm-hmm. experience they tend to have come from that role um but yeah and it's it is interesting seeing different structures i mean angela with did your role exist before what my current one yeah <laughs> ish it was merged with another role yeah. <laughs> so yeah it my trust is a prime example i started off as a clinical audit and nice guidance lead in a governance team in a directorate in this trust so and then they decided to invest more money in the central audit team along with our merger into the QI team and my role came about I've actually doubled my staff in the last year and a bit because of it so yeah it is very weird how different trusts have different setups and how some are very central centralized and how some are very arm's length and I don't think there are huge amounts of audit teams out there that have access to a lot of data that you would hope to that you would hope they had access to to be able to start looking at those triangulation points but i don't know if that's because clinical audit will pass that on then or if they do pass that on so i don't know if they go this is the audit this was the results these are the actions we put in place we're not looking anywhere else that's not what a, cl- a traditional clinical audit does um do with it what you will you know maybe go on to do a qi project i don't think they have access readily to all the risks and incidents and complaints and those large governance reports even if they get them there might be like a little bit at the end going clinical audit i don't think it's well embedded within it and i think that's one of the things that PSURF will do is that your experience as well maddie with your audit profile those junior doctor audits you know they're just the little very traditional clinical audits do you find that they're they are accessible enough within the other governance and reports that you put out there yes and no i guess it depends i think if there's 
the sort of directorates and the, the local areas are engaged in in doing audits and QI and things like that, yes. But then if they've like if they've got their own, especially if they've got their own sort of local audit committees and things, I think definitely yes. Because you have you tend to have sort of like a multidisciplinary team in those committees. And I think having local audit committees um is quite helpful for those kind of things. But if they've not got those, it's then it goes to sort of they go to governance, which is again like clinical governance meetings. Um, it, it is accessible there because that's their core standard agenda items, um, which is why, you know, I'll, I'll always go back to this, which is why I think it it is quite good that our clinical governance facilitators are involved in audit. I mean, I'd love to get more, more of the time on audit, but <laughs> that's another debate, you can know, you can yeah, debate for getting, hours. Yeah, getting governance teams. That It is a difficult thing, you know, particularly in acute organisations, traditionally, that clinical old medical audit was so far away from the rest of governance um, and nursing as well. Um, and I think you do it better in community and mental health. I really do think you do. Um, I think you have a better hold on them all being together. I think there's a more of an overview um, from my experience anyway, from what I've seen. In, and then things yeah. are changing. Yeah, I think we do work a lot closer than I've worked with when I worked in acute care. I think it was quite, they, they weren't distinctly quite separate, but they were I mean, sort of separate teams. Um, and that, that sort of linkage was all, only when, so they used to risk assess clinical audit outcomes. That linkage was only when, oh, we've got a risk assessment and you put it on your register, can you do this? Um, there wasn't that sort of, that link for triangulation where here as we work under one umbrella it's more natural so it doesn't seem it might not seem our face value sort of that that triangulation is happening but it is it's just so natural that people almost don't see it if that makes sense yeah um and finally the last thing i wanted to just touch on was um the data itself and the challenges i guess of getting hold of the data but more the format that people want data in now, because as you know, we've moved over the last good five, 10 years, the SBC charting and, and everything with process controls has, has been big. Is that something you've moved where appropriate to now? Do you have, and, and do you have those skill sets for people to be able to understand them and, and read them correctly? We're moving that way. I think, um, our trust has gone through quite a bit of change over the last few years. So we've had to change quite a few systems and how we're working and we are going for a more embedded quality approach. So we are starting to move towards SPC and things like that with reporting data. That is something we are having to upskill a lot of people on, even on how to read it, let alone build it. But that is something I think every organisation has gone through. Um, we're all you pretty much using the NHS England tools and templates and things. I know I am. Um, so, yeah, I think it's more just a case of it's a culture change that is slow in our organisation, but it is happening. And I think the benefits of it, when people see the benefits, they are more on board with the change. So it's a slowly, slowly catchy monkey sort of like situation. Yeah. Maddie, how are you, how are you getting along with? <laughs> I think we're quite good. I think we've got quite um, 
an engaged community of people that see the benefit in sort of using SPC charts and, you know, tracking that data over time and the way that it's presented. Um, like we've, there was a big thing around sort of the, the QI team and introducing QI and the QI strategy and things like that and the branding and things. And that came with that. And I think as people got on board with that, they got on board with the benefits of how we present data better. Um, again, I agree with Angela. I think it's still a journey. Um, but I think the, the trust as a whole using, they're better at presenting data than probably maybe five, six years ago. Yeah. And do you find you get help um, and support and guidance nationally in relation to the data triangulation and sources and quality and what have you? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, again, it could be better, um, but what couldn't be better? Um, it's, it's a journey, I think, that everybody's going on that we just need to sort of persevere with and that understanding. But I think the at the moment, the, the turnover of staff, like sort of nationally, I guess, in the NHS in general is, is a big thing. And it's like you, you educate one sort of team of people and they, it's great that, you know, they're getting on with it, they're doing things, and then suddenly things change. Um, so I guess it's adapting to change as well. Um, but generally, I think we we do find the benefits of, of using sort of different tools and the, present, the way that we present things. Well, here's to easier... <laughs> and clearer data triangulation in the future then i think easier would be great wouldn't it where it's all just there and a push of a button that would i think that's possibly the goal for everyone having nice clean robust data in front of them and being able to read it as well and act upon it because it's it's fine isn't it getting all this data together it's the it's the recording that you've done something about it and watching it change after that isn't it that i guess we're all trying to get to yeah, not come back in sort of the next couple of years and find the same thing. Um, and then looking back and think, well, we did this a couple of years ago. You know, where what happened? Where did we lose sight? So I guess it's about like keeping that sight of things as well. Fantastic. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for today. Yet again, as always, there's so much to take away from it. And I know I definitely will be with regards to the teams that we talk to and what have you. So thank you very much, both of you. If any listeners would like to join us on a future episode, then email podcast at amat.co.uk. This is a platform for anyone involved in clinical audit um, to come and talk about the things that interest you. Um, and that can be outside of clinical audit as well. So improvement and assurance, um, you're all welcome. As ever, please subscribe and share wherever you can. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to Maddie and Angela for joining us today. Mm-hmm.